Hi folks, it's Rick Wilson, and welcome to The Enemies List. We're getting up towards the holiday season now, and what greater gift could we ask for than Donald Trump being investigated constantly by the FBI, the Department of Justice, and damn near every other law enforcement uh, enterprise in the country? My guest today is my friend Pete Strzok. Pete is a brilliant guy when it comes to this sort of thing because he is the former FBI Counterintelligence Division Deputy Assistant Director. He was involved in the Russia probe of Russian Soviet, see how old I am, of Russian interference in the 2016 election. Knows this stuff backward and forward, and it's going to give us some insights today on exactly how this investigation is going to unfold at every level, not just the Mar-a-Lago investigation, but all the other things that Trump is facing. There was also maintained what was called an enemy's list. Democrats want Republicans dead. I could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody. The women with the least likelihood of getting pregnant are the ones most worried about having abortions. On January 6th of 2021, you had tens of thousands of people peacefully protesting. If you're the president of the United States, you can declassify just by saying um, it's declassified. It's not a right-wing conspiracy theory. It's not QAnon. It's real. <laughs> I'm Rick Wilson, and this is The Enemies List. Hey, Pete, well, thank you so much for joining the enemies list today. And I want to just get right into it um, because you are a guy who has, who has peered deep into the into the black hole that is Donald Trump's uh, legal and, and behavioral world over the years. <laughs> and the, 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 the mountain of shit keeps piling up around this guy higher and higher every day. And I wanted to start, you know, sort of work backward from from the time we're doing this interview. Uh, we've just discovered that there were even more classified documents at a storage unit uh, down in Palm Beach. And I want to just get your perspective on on where Trump stands today in terms of how the 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 current investigations are looking at this guy as the evidence piles up. Yeah, it's a great question. You know, I think it was. Uh... The sun also rises where Hemingway talks about gradually and then suddenly. And then that, all at once. Yeah. Right. <laughs> that there are so many things going on. And it's interesting because, you know, looking particularly at sort of the falls, especially of authoritarian governments that you, you, nobody ever predicts it. You see these little movements and fissures on the edges and in the middle, and it doesn't seem to be doing anything in terms of taking down this monolith. And then all of a sudden things just cascade. And before you know it, it's completely changed. And it's it's doesn't I mean um, the American political discourse doesn't have that I don't think as much as you know if you're looking at in particular you know, developing nation dictators sure, that, that sure. happens a lot more but I think for Trump you know all these things seem to be coming to a head at the same time in all these different venues I mean Mike Flynn went into the grand jury down in Atlanta yesterday DOJ moved to enforce you know, sanctions for Trump being unable to find anybody to certify that, in fact, all the classified information has been returned. Tish James is, is charging ahead, got the two, you know, um, the convictions against the organization. So all of these things are, are progressing. And at the same time, on the heels of the midterms, where if almost every single one of his favorite candidates were losers, you have, I think, finally an understanding and the backbiting within not only the Republican Party, but all the sort of media environment about what went wrong. Is Trump toxic? Do we need right. to move on? These, again, not any one of those things independently. I don't know that they'd be enough, but when you put them all together, I, you know, I hope there's there's a movement towards change. I don't think that's, I still don't think that's going to come from the Republican Party. I think most of them yeah. are cowards 
and they're going to wait for Biden's DOJ to do their job for them, I think. And, you know, at least my assessment right. is, you know, they're going to wait and see. But, you know, going to the, you know, kind of what I've followed and what I'm familiar with, this whole coming up with classified information, and not just, Rick, not just two new documents, but two new documents in a storage facility that somebody at least reportedly says, oh, it's in there with suits and swords and wrestling belts. I mean, what the <laughs> fuck is that? Right. Uh, and and, and right? I think when you look at it, you know, it's not, it is quite apparent, I think, to anybody who's watching this, that Trump is a hoarder, that he is one of those oh, people yeah. that we all know that back when we all worked in offices and you walk into an office, there are piles of crap over mm-hmm. every available space you know, square foot on the desk, on the floor, on the shelf, things precariously about to fall over at any given place. And that Trump spent the entirety of his four years in office taking anything that he found shiny and interesting and shoving it in a McDonald's bag and taking it back up to the residence or whatever he did. And that now you have a situation, I guarantee you, one, Trump still has classified information. Oh yeah, no question. Two, For a lot of it, he has no fucking idea where it is. He could not tell you if he tried where it might be. Three, nobody around him knows either, and nobody is going to be willing to sit there and sign some sort of court filing assuring the the chief judge in in D.C., Beryl Howell, yes, we've returned it all to the government. So now, you know, I'm glad... I'm glad they're moving forward to enforce that, you know, getting getting a response out of his team. You and I have both dealt with classified in our in my prior career and your prior career. And and I, I go back to this over and over again. If my last day at DOD, I had walked out with a bunch of classified documents and taken them home just for whatever purposes, whatever purposes, somebody would have come and kicked down my fucking door and I'd go to prison because you just can't. And I I'm it's just remarkable to me. And I think you're right. I think there's part of this. Yes, there's a sort of temptation to say, oh, they stole it to sell it or whatever. I think part of this is just the guy is an obsessive weirdo who loves trinkets and trophies and and little signifiers of power. And but he I don't think he knows where any of it is. And I don't think he knows. I, I'm I'm shocked that they have stuff in a storage unit, of course. Um the only upside is as I guess, and you're a former CI guy, th- this the, I guess the only upside is because he doesn't even know what he has, nobody can target it from the outside. I mean, you know, the Chinese or you know the MSS or whoever, uh, or the Russians didn't say, oh, well, we know he took this and it's in a storage locker in an unsecured building. I mean, that's the, I guess the only small upside is is he's just chaotic, not, not, not deliberate about the theft. Yeah, but I think it, it, it's 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 a focused chaos. I mean, it's a malicious chaos. There's certainly something where he might have said, "Oh, gee, this is neat. Here's a here's a cool graphic about somebody's you know nuclear weapons right. program or, or U.S. Mm-hmm. weapon system that he just thought was neat." But I guarantee, I'd be well. There's also a you know there's a reason you had all those catch and kill stories that the you know working sure. with the National Enquirer and in mm-hmm. relation to Trump to get interesting stuff and set it aside almost for blackmail purposes. It doesn't, he didn't keep, you know, allegedly what may be all the sort of classified information about Macron. He didn't keep that just because it was need. He kept that because he had a, you know, a sort of both fascination and animosity towards him that he thought this would be something that either sort of out of some weird perversion he could share with somebody or he could dangle it out there for some sort of leverage. And I don't doubt if there was a business advantage 
to any of this, that he would not maximize that for his own gain. And I do want to, I, I do want to push back a little bit. I mean, so you've got the threat of Trump and what he might do with it or what he, you know, whatever remains. But I do think right. on the foreign intelligence side, not knowing where it is doesn't mean it's not available for targeting. And, you know, talk about the Mar-a-Lago. Okay, yeah, yeah, no, you're right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I do, you know, I keep going back to one story that was, I think in 2018 that, you know, Jared had kept, Jared kept requesting briefings and classified information that was well outside of his purview. That's the other element of this that I wonder if, if, because Jared was looking ahead to doing business deals after all this was over. That's the other area I think that there may be maliciousness that beyond just Donald himself, where people said, oh, well, we better know where all, you know, all the valences are if we're going to go try to borrow money from this guy or try to build a tower in, in this country. Because that clearly, um, there, there, was a, there was a story, like I said, I think it's in 2018, of Jared seeking briefings that were like, and the briefers were like, well, what the fuck do you need to know that for? What, 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 what you know, that's, that's not in your world. That's not anything about what you're doing. It, well outside need to know. But I mean, it, it is ironically, you know, that the Trump himself has always presented, as you and I've talked about before, like the richest possible target, money, ego, compromise, all the things that make up people who betray their country. It's like it's playing out right now in court filings and live television because his ego is such a gigantic black hole. All these things got sucked into it. I think in, that's the central driver. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And I mean, from a certainly from an intelligence service, but also if you're an intelligence service who is briefing up a your head of state, if you're the sure. SVR briefing mm -hmm. Putin, and not that mm -hmm. Putin even needs to be told how to play Trump. Right. I mean, he's got that down to a science. You're absolutely right. There's so much between again the 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 drive for money, which is largely in some ways, yeah, he wants it for comfort, but he also wants it for the prestige, for the ego. I'm so wealthy, you know, I don't need all these little things. I, you know, I just have I'm ooze wealth, which is all BS. I mean, right. he, he's been skating on credit for the better part of two, a couple of generations at this point. But between that need for affirmation broadly. And then two, his obsession with authoritarians, because mm -hmm. deep down inside, he wants to be one, right? You know, oh. President Xi might as well be a king. I could be a king like He's that. He's very so like, strong. You put together, on the one hand, his fascination with that, his need for ego affirmation, and so that if you are Putin or Xi or Erdogan or Duterte, whoever it is, who comes in and projects that and lives, in some cases in, in many of these nations, that sure. reality... It's a recipe for him just, you know, bending over and, you know, kind of doing whatever. What can uh, I do for you, want. sir? <laughs> yeah, just the, the, yeah, right, right. I, so again, and that hasn't changed. I mean, that's still. I mean, he's still living, you know, his 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 life of grievance on Truth Social. So I, it's it hasn't yeah, gotten I mean, better. No, I, I think that's right. And 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 you know, I do think that there. I, I think you're right about the pressure. If, if the FBI is looking at somebody or the DOJ is looking at somebody and they and they see all these things coming together at one time, I mean, this guy, everything about him is like the smells like the center of a giant criminal conspiracy case, um, and it all sort of wraps up into one. How do the how do the targets of these cases survive that kind of pressure? I'm shocked. I mean, I would have broken by now. I would have like fuck it, I'm done, because he's got so many legal threads running right now so many simultaneous things hitting him that that it, it, it's kind of remarkable i mean is it's it is this like a like a mob case where all of a sudden you go in and just roll up everything at once 
or, or, or is it more piecemeal? I mean, what's that feel like if you're on the receiving end of this stuff? I mean, I think there is a cumulative effect. I mean, I, I, I think there is something, one, that in Trump's experience, he went through a significant part of his professional career sort of fighting back legal action. But sure. I don't think he, and I think he was successful in whether, you know, Roy Cohn or others, you know, mentored him in how to do that. I don't think he understood when he stepped into a, you know, the presidency or the visibility. And that was, you know, part of the questions about, you know, in 15, 16, why, why is he running for president? And he is going to draw so much more attention. You know, when you look at all the people, you know, the Republicans at first doing all the oppo looking mm-hmm. into his mm-hmm. affairs, right. he, he's got so many problems there. Why do you, why do you want to, Yeah, exactly. Why do you want to put the talents of Rick Wilson on all your shady dealings when you've kind of been able to skirt along without really getting in trouble. And now it's just, you know, that I think it is coming. I think it takes longer because it's more complex. I think it takes longer because there is a certain fear. Let's be honest, I think from, you know, the, the, the department of justice and other, you know, democratic led organizations, but I think that's coming and it does start to cascade. You do at some point, reach the point where credible attorneys don't want to work for you anymore, where you can't afford what it would take to get a credible attorney to work for you. And it's not just in one thing that suddenly, you know, Alina Haba can't go filing things for you at Mar-a-Lago because she has no competence. And, you know, I'm in my opinion to do that, but you can't, you, and then, and it's not just that, right? It's what's going on in New York. It's New York's now reinvigorating, apparently, their criminal investigation. It's New York's referral to the IRS and to the feds and SDNY, some of the things that they found in that case. It's everything going on in Georgia. It's the appointment of a special counsel. And it just, I, I think you reach this point where, and we're not there yet, but I think, I don't know if Trump appreciates what that looks like, because I think he still looks at it from the perspective of, this is great. Everybody's still talking about me. I can still put it in a fundraising email Mm -hmm. and get Aunt Nellie and Uncle Fred to give another five bucks from somewhere in a red state that they can't afford to begin with. But for him, I don't think he's thinking, I'm worried about going to jail. I think it's, you know, I continue to be targeted. Woe is me. Give me some more money. And everybody keeps yeah. talking about it. Yeah, the public act is very is very strong. So I want to talk about the uh, I've picked up in the last few days in DC this sort of fear that Jack Smith is the next, you know, the next white knight who isn't going to deliver the goods to get to finally get Trump. And I don't know how much of that's being generated out of the sort of MAGA media complex and how much of it is people who've just been, you know, they've waited, they waited for Mueller to take you know, to, to, to take Trump down and he got short circuited by Barr. They, 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 you know, waited for Garland to, to step forward more aggressively. What's your take on the Jack Smith investigation and on, on how that's going to play out in terms of, I mean, I, I've read about his reputation. It seems stellar. Um, but what do you think his, his purview is with, with this, with this case in terms of like how much latitude does he have as a special counsel? Help folks understand that. And and do you think people are going to have their hearts broken again if he can't deliver the goods? Yeah. So, I mean, we, we have this tendency, we like Americans, all st- shapes and sizes. And it's just sort of like, you know, 
from the time we all sat around in, you know, kind of loincloths around the fire and telling right. stories, you want a protagonist, you want a sure. hero, you want somebody to represent the, you know, the group, the mass and, you know, lift that person up and make them into a hero. And, you know, whoever, whatever side of the political spectrum you're on, you do that, whether it's Robert Mueller, whether right. it's John Durham, whoever it is, there's this tendency to, I think, inappropriate tendency, setting, setting people up for heartache. You know, this mm -hmm. isn't a movie. If you want a hero story, go, you know, go watch a movie or read a book about Winston Churchill or hell, go look at, you know, Zelensky in Ukraine, but don't, don't pick just because of the way criminal law works. That isn't ever going to be entirely satisfying from a justice perspective right. because the bar right. is so high. Everybody knows or believes at least there's this wrongdoing that I don't think they get the justice they're seeking necessarily through the criminal justice system in the United States. So mm -hmm. look, I don't know, I, I've never worked um, with Jack Smith, uh, the, the people I know that have, he, he's competent, he's aggressive, he's kind of no nonsense. He is not, you know, clearly he's not a household name like Robert Mueller was. He's not a sure. household name, sure. you know. So again, for, in terms of his purview, I, my sense is DOJ and the attorney general didn't want to give this up but felt once Trump declared that they essentially had to, you mm -hmm. know, he's, what he's looking at is not just Trump, right? I mean, so on the one hand, you've got all the things at Mar-a-Lago and that, right. of course, at the top of that is Trump, but you have all the people who may have worked with him in obstructing the department's investigation, whether that's Walt Nada, his, his valet who, you know, may or may not have moved things at his direction. And Christina Bob, who may or may not have signed, you know, some sort of, you know, I think the attestation she signed was vague right. enough. I don't think she's got exposure. But then it also includes all the things related to upsetting or interfering with the transfer of power in the 2020 election. So that includes January 6th. That includes all the fake elector plots. And it's not just Trump. It's all the people around that. So, you know, my read of that appointment order is it includes people like, you know, uh, Mark Meadows to Rudy Giuliani to Roger Stone. So those cases, it was not, it did not include the prosecutions that were underway. So, right. you know, the seditious conspiracy cases against Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers. Right, all, the, all the nuts and bolts stuff down the, down the food chain. Right. But, but my read is when you start moving up that chain and it is at the point that, you know, the, the, uh, the leadership of that group, we're talking to that cell directly around Trump. And my read is that those cases also went. And so that's that's a mm -hmm. lot. It's not just Trump. And so I think he's got a pretty wide purview. I it the the advantage he has is many of those cases had well developed investigative and prosecutive teams already in place, right? So right. I assume so he just subsumes the, that, that those operations. I really hope so. I, I don't know okay. how he. Right. I mean, I'll be he's not doing it, it de novo. That wouldn't. That would right. Make sense. And I, I can't imagine he would. I mean, that wouldn't make sense right. to me. That I think these things. You know, you had agents and analysts and AUSAs, and you know, all folks already assigned and, and well aware of the facts in pretty well developed investigations in many cases. So. You know, in terms of his scope, it's broad. In ter I, and I think he'll be able to run those, you know, with with a fair amount of independence. The advantage in putting all that together is you do, and I hope they do it. You know, my experience with Director Mueller, my experience with you know Pat Fitzgerald working back on mm -hmm. a on a case when he was appointed as special counsel, sure. is they there there really tends to even though you were working the cases when you get a special counsel like that, it tends to streamline the chain of command and focus the efforts and make it right. 
um, right. and make it more, uh, uh, you know, kind of efficient. And then the other thing that it does is there is the special counsel money. There, there's some administrative ways in the in the manner in which that is funded that it makes it harder for a Republican House to mess around with. Now, right. you know, a lot of the right. biggest fears, if both House and Senate had flipped, that might have been a problem. We, you know, isolated. Sure that nonsense a little bit since the, the, the Senate remained, um, in Democrats hands, but the net, the, the net impact I think is, yeah, I, I think it's neutral or positive. I, I don't see okay. a negative to, to his uh, So I had a question and I, did, I, I was thinking about this while you were, while you were talking about this. If the J six committee makes criminal referrals to the DOJ, did those now go to him or do those have to be organically processed through the DOJ somehow? Yeah, I think I'm, I'm I'm curious to see what they are. I mean, in many ways, my experience is you know, the congressional yeah, I, referrals I'm, tend to be a lot of a lot of theater a, a and, thing. and and right, right, right. So, so what it would be interesting, of course, is are there particularly when it comes to information that Congress developed that DOJ doesn't have, mm-hmm. if that's the basis for a referral, if some of these things relate to false statements made to Congress, you know, that typically is right, like the, right. in my experience. The FBI and DOJ did not sort of affirmatively go out and listen to people's sworn testimony before Congress and eagerly jump in and open a thousand and one case. It typically, once right. Congress referred that in those cases, DOJ okay. would do an assessment whether or not to open it. But I do, again, if it relates to Trump, you know, I think they would go to him. Now the question would be, okay, so like say Anthony Ornato, the the he was Secret right, Service the Secret executive. Service guy who then, you know, was made a political appointee under Trump and then moved back to the Secret Service, which was horrible, shouldn't happen, should, you know, no. we should make regulations to prevent particularly career law enforcement officers from bouncing back and right? forth in political roles. <laughs> Setting that aside, I think, you know, say, and this is a hypothetical, I don't know whether he did or didn't make a false statement in testimony at some point, but say, again, hypothetically he did, Congress refers that, you know, is that Trump? I, you know, I think it depends in a very narrow way in terms of did that relate to something that Trump allegedly directed him to do or right, not? Right, right. Um, I'm curious what you think uh, in terms of of the time frame on the Smith investigation. What do you think that looks like? Uh, I think the first thing we'll see movement wise is going to be stuff around Mar-a-Lago when the Eleventh Circuit issued their Eileen Cannon smackdown they kind of put a one week buffer in there saying, you know, dismiss all this. It's all nonsense, but we're going to pause a week in case anybody wants to appeal. And Trump didn't. And so all that stuff was vacated. But I think that will be the first place that we see something because it's a simpler set of data. And it's going to take them the time to see the material that they weren't able to review because of Judge Cannon's you know, initial appointment of a special master. But now that's gone. I think you'll quickly see movement there. I think the January 6th will take longer, um, but the earliest I'd expect to see something, particularly with the holidays, it's probably, you know, late January, February timeframe. So Pete, what do you think is, and last question here for today, what do you think is a sort of preview of the next, you know, few weeks and months ahead in terms of the, of the legal and investigations uh, and all the, all the various challenges here from a, from a FBI, DOJ you know, prosecutorial perspective against Trump? Um, I think it's going to be quiet. 
through the holidays because the government, like everywhere else, has a tendency to to slow down. And between, you know, it's not everybody leaving on mass, but you do have people right. staggering their vacations. And when it comes to things that, you know, anything dealing with Trump is going to need a great deal of scrutiny and a higher set of approvals. Mm-hmm. So that's going to slow through the holidays. So I think, though, coming back into January, you're going to see a number of things, right? I mean, the January 6th committee is going to issue their report, I think, on the 21st, potentially right. with any referrals. So that's coming up soon. But then starting in January, you're going to see a lot of things. I think one starting first with, you know, whatever's going on down in Georgia. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, that grand jury is is very ripe and mature. And whether or not they decide to bring charges or not, I think there will be some decision decisions coming out of that in the January, February timeframe that will give us an idea who, if, and how many people they're going to charge. And we should know that I would think certainly by the end of, I would, well, I would estimate certainly by February, March, we would have a very good sense of what they plan on doing, at least in an immediate stage criminally or not. Um, two, I think you will see probably again by the February, March timeframe, some sort of movement on the Mar-a-Lago front. And just because that's a kind of more discreet, I mean, it's still Trump, so it's it's, right. it's high profile, but fact pattern wise, it's not especially difficult. Certainly when you compare that to all the January 6th activity, because it's so complex and has so many people, I think it may take a while before we see certainly any sort of charges brought in that, in the sort of January 6th context. And, you know, then again, it, newer, I think, will be any sort of question about what's going on up in New York, even at a state level with this sort of reinvigorated criminal at the district attorney level mm-hmm. criminal investigation. And certainly whether or not anybody, I would hope, given the information that has come out on the tax fraud case, I hope, I hope, I hope between the IRS, between the FBI, between SDNY at DOJ, that somebody is taking a look at all of these now convict, you know, these, these charges, which have been, you know, found guilty by a jury and look and say, okay, if there was tax fraud at a state level, by God, there's, there has to be a decent chance there's tax fraud in a federal context, but starting that investigate, we don't know. I mean, there's been little to no discussion that I've seen in the media about what is or isn't going on, but that's, that's a newer thing. But, you know, I would anticipate having some sort of like, again, the sort of charging decision to charge somebody, not January, I think February, March would be the first time we start seeing it. And I would look to Georgia and I would look to Mar-a-Lago. Okay. Well, I appreciate you level setting on that because I think a lot of people are like, why not tomorrow? And I, and I'm glad you, I'm glad you gave that some perspective because I, I, I mean, I'm not a lawyer and, and I tell people this all the time, like these are process. This is a process, not a thing. You can't just order it up on Amazon. And it shows up two days later. So, well, Pete, thank you so much, brother, for coming on the show. Uh, really yeah, appreciate you your, your wisdom and insight. We will have you back again as these, as these things develop. Uh, and tell folks where they can find you on social media. Yeah, so I'm uh, Pete Struck on Twitter. Still hanging on to Twitter. We'll see if that. Uh, <laughs> we'll see what you that and goes, me both, brother. Set up. You know, yeah, I've got, but I'm Pete Struck everywhere else. So Pete Struck on and like you know Mastodon, um, Pete Struck on whatever the other uh, post, the, the new post uh, yeah. there as well. And then you can find me Pete Struck on Substack, which, you know, is the neat thing about Substack is it's a lot longer form ability right. to discuss the issues. And it's, yeah, free, I've so got to do one of those. See what eventually. I'm thinking. <laughs> it's Substack and yeah. And uh, you know, when we, when everything level sets and we figure out where the, where the next sort of public venue is going to be, 
Right. Look for me there. You'll be there. All right. Well, thanks again, Pete. We will talk to you again very soon. Sounds great. See you, Rick. I know you'll be shocked, absolutely shocked, to hear who's on the enemies list this week. But it's Ron DeSantis. Now, Ron's generalized douchebaggery is sort of a full-spectrum kind of thing. As my grandmother used to say, he's a 360-degree bastard. He's a bastard no matter which direction you approach him from. But in this case, DeSantis... Sorry, my cat's objecting to Ron DeSantis. Uh, but in this week, we had Ron DeSantis out there forming a grand jury to investigate COVID vaccine manufacturers, going after Fauci, going after the entire anti-vax vote that now makes up a pretty meaningful percentage of the Republican Party base vote. And strategically, as a political strategy, I understand where the motivation comes from because they understand that their base is full of people who are scientifically ignorant, morally repugnant, and unable to process simple uh, news stories and understandings of things like, I don't know, that vaccines prevent you from uh, getting deadly diseases, well beyond COVID, by the way. And we're seeing this rise right now of parents who don't want to get their kids vaccinated for things like measles, mumps, and rubella, who don't want to get their kids childhood vaccinations. Uh, and they're saying, oh, it's part of the parents' rights movement. Get fucked, okay? And Ron DeSantis is the leadership of this movement. He's the, he's the guy who's become the face of it in this country. And Ron DeSantis isn't some crank like Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Ron DeSantis is the second most popular Republican in the country right now. And the fact that he's decided he's going to use vaccinations um, and, and stoking anti-vax fear and stoking anti-vax terror in the minds of people who are vulnerable to that kind of agitprop uh, is utterly repulsive. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to speak to Casey, who's the brains in the family here, who's the one who is actually running this. You should all know Casey is the one who wants to be president. He, She's the smart one in the family. Casey, whatever you think the political utility of this is, whatever you think the political lift that Ron will get out of this is, the moral depravity of convincing people that vaccines are dangerous instead of life-saving is utterly repugnant. So Ron and Casey... You guys are this week's enemies list. Get your shit together. Folks, the kind of conversations we're having here on Resolute Square are, I think, important. And I hope we're bringing you some interesting and compelling guests who are giving you an insight into the world around us in the major forces that are in this big fight for democracy and the fight against it. Because there are people on the other side. And the folks on the other side have something that the pro-democracy folks really don't have. They have a coordinated, cohesive media infrastructure. It starts at the top with Fox, but it goes down through all these other things, Breitbart, the Daily Caller, the Free Beacon, all these coordinated, the Federalists, all these coordinated right-wing sites, all these coordinated MAGA media outlets. They're fed through Facebook and social media platforms that we don't even see. And so one of the reasons we formed Resolute Square was to bring the sort of energy and fight that, that we brought for the pro-democracy movement and, the, and to save this republic from the Lincoln Project into this space as well, because while, that, while the Lincoln Project's mission continues, we've got to fight in the media culture as well. That's what Resolute Square is for. We're building this podcast and others out to reach hopefully millions of people, to mobilize people to encourage them, to activate them, to educate them, to make them into warriors for American democracy. 
to put them into the fight in a way that matters, to put them into the fight with the intellectual weapons they need to take on the MAGA media, to take on the alt-right, to take on the authoritarians and the bullies and the thugs that are the same kind of people who stormed the Capitol and the same kind of people who marched in Charlottesville. That's who we're up against at Resolute Square. It's a big media enterprise on the other side. This is a startup. It's a bootstrap. We hope you'll consider a membership at Resolute Square. There are a lot of things on our website, resolutesquare.com, a lot of options on how you can do that. $5 a month, $60 a year. We think it's a, a lot of content that you will find interesting and compelling. Newsletters, podcasts, streaming shows, things that are going to take you behind the curtain with smart folks who have done it. Thanks so much. Have a great holiday, and I'll talk to you soon. Thanks again for listening to The Enemies List. If you have any comments, questions, or if there's someone you'd like to hear on the podcast, hit me up on Twitter at TheRickWilson. Thanks again for the wonderful support you've shown the pod. We're growing fast. It really helps if you will share this with your friends, your family, and anyone else who, like us, is trying to save democracy. While you're at it, if you could rate and review the podcast, I would be very much appreciative. I know this is the sort of thing you've heard a billion times. Please rate, review, like, blah, blah, blah but you need to do it. It really does help us a lot. We are slaves to the algorithm, my friends. And if you do this, it will help get the pod out further. Anyway, thanks again for listening. I'll see you next time. And remember, whatever you do, stay off the list.